Pump up the volume on your parenting with Parent Pump Radio. Tune into something different that makes a difference. At Parent Pump Radio, instead of a ripple, we choose to create a splash. Get energized, get inspired, and get informed with how to parent in the new millennium. With your host and parent coach super guide, Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. Hi, this is Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. We're here to pump up your parenting skills, pump up your knowledge, and pump up your energy. Welcome to Parent Pump Radio. Our show is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and syndicated on missionsradio.org and liveleadplay.com. Please share and tag your friends who would really enjoy this show and all of our information. If you are looking for a speaker or leadership development trainer for your organization, events, or for yourself, please go to my website at integrativeminds.com to learn more about what I offer and contact me at info at integrativeminds.com to schedule a meeting time. My amazing number one best-selling book called Amazing Itty Bitty Book on Family Leadership, 15 Simple Tips Successful Companies Use at Families Can Implement at Home is available on Amazon for $6.99 on paperback and $2.99 on Kindle. The link to purchase the book is in the show notes. So today we have a special show because there was so much information when I talked to our next guest that we decided to break it into a two-part series. Today's part one, and next week will be part two. The subject matter is about neglect, isolation, abuse, and how it affects the children's brain development. And also as an adult, if you have experienced this as a child. So our guest is a world-famous neuroscientist, international best-selling author of numerous books, and a popular speaker on issues of mental wellness and global harmony. His extensive and rejuvenating works of science and philosophy have taught us how the basic awareness of the brain can completely redefine our perception of life and help us live better lives. He has written 31 books on the human mind. Some of his more popular books are The Art of Neuroscience in Everything, What is Mine, and Human Making is Our Mission, a treatise on parenting. His talks and lectures have inspired millions around the world to take a deeper and fresher look within to create a healthier self and a healthier society. Ladies and gentlemen, with no further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Abhijit Naskar. Hi there. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. How do you do? I'm good. Your friends call you Abhis. Can I use that too? Sure. sure. Okay. Awesome. Abi was born in Calcutta, India, and he quit his computer engineering studies and embarked on this field of neuroscience, psychology, and philosophy. Those three things also has intrigued me, Abi, and that's why when you and I talked, it was just so fascinating to know someone that spent so much time deeply involved in this. What made you quit your computer engineering study and go so far? Basically, the I didn't find the essence of education, that is. I didn't find the fragrance of education. So it was so much technical and robotic that I had to move out of it. So I was more interested in science than from the very beginning. Then I started to realize you don't really, uh, you can study science the old-fashioned way. In fact, 
uh, Charles Darwin and uh, various other scientists did it their own way. They studied themselves, they taught themselves. So if you really want to learn, why don't just teach yourself? That's what I did. The thing that fascinates me about neuroscience is we had no idea how the brain really worked before. And now they're just finding so many fascinating things, and especially on the development of a child's brain. Exactly. Because as you see before, our focus on understanding the human mind was through only psychology. And in the beginning, it was mostly hugely, actually, uh, to be honest, a lot of guesswork on the part of the psychologists and psychiatrists, because we didn't have the technology to look actually empirically to the human mind. That is, we are later finding out that the source of what we call mind is born in the human brain. So since we could not actually see into the brain, we could not understand any part of it. And we had to guess on all those activities of the mind, including the activities of a child's mind. But now that we can, we have tons of technology, uh, fMRI and various others that allow us to actually look inside the mind that is the brain and actually scan the areas that are connected to various parts, various faculties and connected to child development. And we can understand it better so that we can also make the parents aware of it. I know that a long time ago, we thought the prefrontal cortex was born complete. But now we're finding that Ashley doesn't even complete its development until the age of about 24, 25. Then we're looking at what happens to a child's brain while it's that part of motor, that controls the, the executive function. What happens if the child is going through what we're talking about today, neglect, abuse, isolation, and then this child is now an adult as a parent and trying to parent a child. So what is the significance of neglect in parenting? As you said, I would just take the cue from your statement that the prefrontal cortex is not totally developed. The fact is that the human brain is not fully developed when it is born. It is unlike any other species, that is our, the entire animal kingdom, they are born fully, almost fully prepared for a certain activity. And they can do certain feats and they can run. A dolphin is born swimming and a giraffe is born and they can just, uh, within around an hour, and that baby can start standing up on its feet. So in the animal kingdom, the brains are completely wired. They are pre-programmed almost fully. So they are born in that way. But the human brain, it is born unprepared, not fully developed. In fact, not at all developed. It just has the neurons that we adults have. So which means in a baby, the amounts of neurons, that is the quantity of the neurons, they're actually the same as an adult, but they are not connected to each other. So those connections later on when the baby is born, then those neurons begin to connect with each other. Until about two years of age, those connections just keep connecting and connecting. And at the age of two years, a baby brain has twice the amount of connections, that is what you call synapses, twice the amount of synapses than an adult brain. So afterwards, then among those connections, that is the neural connections, the ones that we do not use, they start to just fade away. They disappear. Those which we use, that is based on the faculty, which means a certain region of the brain is connected to a certain faculty of the mind, such as executive functioning, 
and various others. So the more we use it, the more those things strengthen. So when the baby is born, then based on the environment, the parenting, the emotional care, the cognitive support, all those things influence the development of the baby's brain. And when there is a lack in any of those things, it definitely puts an impact on the development of that brain and even can just create various conditions that would become severe when that baby becomes an adult. Then what happens when the child is being neglected or isolated? What happens to the child's development of the brain when that happens? When that child is neglected, so which means that person, so when we say about neglect, it is actually a kind of implicit abuse, which is indirect abuse. So the person may not be actually uh, intending to do it. The parent thinks that they're giving all the resources, they're providing for the baby, and that's it. That's enough. But actually, that's not enough. For a brain to develop normally in a healthy manner, the bare brain needs emotional support, care, and all the environmental influence that come in in that environment in a healthy family. And when that baby is not actually provided with that kind of emotional relationship, an emotional bond with the parent, that baby begins to grow. Let's just put it in a few points. When that person becomes an adult, he would be, he or she would be very much incapable of going into a reciprocal relationship. So which means he will have, the person will have difficulty in creating a healthy relationship with another person. And that person also would become prone to depression, anxiety, and also they will basically, any kind of subtle kind of trigger can make them very much anxious. And they would also may have, that is, cognitive difficulties. A certain kind of emotional neglect can lead to, that is, the person may be unable to convey various daily tasks. Uh, let's say if a baby cries and that parent's response to that cry and just comes in and hugs the baby, the baby receives a reward from that care. But when that baby does not receive that reward, then the brain starts to adapt to that situation and begins to become less and less emotionally sensitive. So that kind of thing creates a gap between that person and another person. So basically, that person becomes a kind of robotic. When I think of emotion, I'm thinking of sympathy, empathy, compassion, love. Is that what you're talking about? Correct, yes. When a baby is not getting that, as an adult, it is going to be harder for that person to show empathy, sympathy, compassion, and love to another human being, including their child. Correct, including their child and the person they are in a relationship and for which they will not be able to sustain any relationship. For starters, they will not get into a relationship because they cannot, in many cases, they will not be able to understand the basic uh, norms of a relationship, how it works, and how the person is supposed to react to a certain kind of emotional trigger. For example, if uh, another person, the person in front, provides a kind of emotional gesture. So because this adult has been neglected as a kid, the brain would be unable to recognize that kind of emotional gesture and would not know how to respond to that. Then later on, even just surviving that if that person gets into a relationship. 
So which means that that kind of inability to recognize emotional cues, which we usually do, and the female brain is more capable of recognizing emotional cues than the male brain. So you're saying it's actually more impactful on a male child? Yes. Here again, we are finding that the quantity of people to get actually depressed and anxiety and all that are actually the number is very much higher in case of women than actually men, because there are other hormonal things going on in the body already, which also influences in that the impact of neglect altogether. So, which means it influences if that person is a female, that that child is going to probably going to get into more trouble than a man because the male brain is already evolutionary programmed to kind of win a situation or kind of be aggressive and all that. So that is kind of recognizing emotional cues are more likely in a female than a male. Okay. Which means that the neglect influences the female brain much more than a male because the male are already there. In many cases, they would like to become the boss in the situation, not actually play well with others. You had said earlier that stress, anxiety, and anger level also increases for for someone who was neglected as a baby. Is that part of the emotional cue that they don't know how to handle situations? It's part of it as well. When a person is neglected, what we mean by anxiety and stress level is simply means the levels of stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline. So when a child is neglected, male or female, that person. We are finding out certain proofs that they are epigenetically they are being changed at a genetic level. That kind of neglect, so that makes them more prone to higher levels of stress hormones in their life than normal person who has received that kind of care and emotional support from the parents. So which means that any kind of subtle trigger can make their the people who have been neglected those kids can make their Stress hormones go way up than any other person who has not been neglected. I see. What about modern technology? Because now we're bringing that in, where our preteens, our young kids, even teens, are almost addicted to technology. We're talking about eight, ten, twelve hours in front of a screen. How is that affecting the child's brain? And how are they going to be as an adult? Basically, today perhaps the parents are using the technology as kind of babysitter. Yep, babysitter. Yes, they are creating a generation of robots because a huge part of being human is recognizing emotional cues, recognizing human gestures, which actually are product of a system which we call the mirror neuron system. And interesting part here that we are also finding out the correlation between. Mirror neuron deficiency, that is inactivity, with autism symptoms. So that is one thing. That which means that if a person's mirror neuron system is not working properly in a healthy manner, that leads to inability to bond with another person, whether it is in a social situation or personal situation. And when the kids are today using a lot of technology, we are actually finding out in many studies that they are losing their Healthy activities of mirror neurons, so which means they are losing the common sense of empathy and sympathy and recognizing what another person is trying to say or sense their human gestures. So they are going to be able to less connect with their peers in the society 
than if a person, say, is not using technology to such an extent, which I doubt that there are so much kids already there who are not using technology. Yeah, well, we're going to be seeing the effects of it in the next probably decade because it's just starting in this decade. Yes. So it's probably hard to have any evidence of what the repercussion of it is. Uh, we already actually have the results. We're actually already finding out that they are having less social skills, less social capacity. So basically function in a society. And because they are putting they are putting so much focus on their virtual self that they cannot focus on their real self. So they have created in their mind a kind of self-image and they put it on the internet and they, it becomes all the perfect image. So it also creates another kind of severe mental illness which leads to a self-image issue. So that leads to other kind of problems, bulimia and mental so all that technology is not only connected to the lack of empathy and sympathy, but it also creates a lot of serious mental issues in the kids. And if we don't recognize it right now, it's going to be very, very late. So this technology is not only affecting emotional, in the sense of stress and anxiety, but we're talking about learning how to be empathetic also. And stress and anxiety is just at a rise with our children. Could this be a correlation as to why their stress and anxiety is on a huge rise because of all the technology? They're directly connected because when we are talking about anxiety, we need to understand what it really anxiety is. So as I said earlier, uh, that it means levels of stress hormone. So how does it work? So let's put a, let's look at the situation today when the kids are every single moment busy at their phone looking at notifications, they post a picture. Imagine a situation, they're posting a picture. So basically the teenagers, their brain are highly sensitive. They're constantly looking for approval from the society. They have to receive approval from the society. When that approval is positive, they get a kind of a cocktail of happy hormones, a kind of reward. The reward center just turns up like, like a uh, Christmas night. And when they do not get that reward, stress hormones level go high. Now they post a picture. If they get, their, their brain is automatically hoping to receive notifications, likes, and comments, and shares. And when they receive it, it's good. They are just boosting their brain, triggering their brain to be more uh, stimulated and happy. And the moment that a few moments spent and they're not receiving any kind of notification, then is the moment that the brain starts to go high at the level of stress hormone. So anxiety goes up. And this is happening every single moment. And the longer this impacts on the brain, the brain becomes more prone to anxiety, to stress. And the boys are on video games. How is that different or the same as social media? Social media is a kind of uh, reward and punishment. That's how it works. Uh, the more they can reward and the more you, they can keep you engaged on it, the social media can... Uh, just basically manipulate the brain like uh, the experiment of the Pavlov on the dog. They give food to the dog and the bell, and today the bell is a notification. But on the video game, it's a kind of, it is, again, the video game as well impacts on the child's brain, of course. It also reduces uh, social skills and all that. But it does not do that to such an extent, increasing the levels of stress hormones and anxiety um, social media does, the, the way that the kids are using. So we are not here actually condemning social media. We're just condemning the excessive use of it. So that is 
every single moment they are engaged in. Video games, on the other hand, yes, they reduce social skills, but not to such an extent. How much does video game cause in the stress and anxiety level? We don't yet have so much stronger evidence as we have for social media. That is because on the video game we are just more pro. If but again we are also seeing that it can increase the levels of aggression in the boys, especially when they're active, because the boys are attracted to more kind of aggressive. Because that's how the men have been throughout our evolutionary history. They had to be aggressive. So aggression is like an archetypal element in a man's brain. They had to be aggressive, and it is already deep within us. We have a kind of two-part identity, civilized and old one. The old ones possess all our wild instincts, and the male brain is very much instinctual and aggressive in that domain, and that is very much influenced by that video game. Yeah, I wanted to bring it up because statistics says that over 80% of video game user are boys and it's almost flipped with that with girls in social media girls are more social media boys are more video game we talked about the problem i want to get to solutions so what would you call healthy parenting here we need to recognize when we when we say that neglect is unhealthy are we saying that helicoptering is healthy uh, so both are two extremes Helicopter parenting and neglect, both are two extremes, both are unhealthy. In case of helicoptering, we are also finding out that this leads to various other uh, later on mental issues and cognitive deficits. And the person may develop anxiety and stress through the effect of helicoptering, not just neglect. So which means the healthy parenting would be not too close, not too far away. Not to tell them, don't do this and don't do that every single moment, just keeping an eye on them so they know that they are safe, but not letting them know that they are actually watching over like an invisible guardian. So it is like the middle way is the healthy way to just keep a watch on them while they are doing whatever they are doing. And when they see that something is extremely getting out of hand, then to intervene. Otherwise, let them handle some of the things because they need to handle the moment, the problem with helicoptering, when they just intervene in every single second, the brain loses the ability to deal with cope with situations and develop the brain circuits that are necessary to deal with everyday circumstances. So that also leads to problems. So the middle way is the healthy way. That is the right parent. And, and obviously, different age, you're going to give them a little more freedom. So uh -huh. say an a 8 or a 10-year-old is going to be a little different, right? You can right. treat them a little different than, say, a 15 or a 16-year-old. Right. So how can we raise healthy kids with healthy minds and body from a neuroscientist's point of view? First of all, that is, admit their mistakes. And that is, people make mistakes. And when we make mistakes, the brain develops connections to next time be able to recognize those mistakes and not commit it again. The brain develops connections. So the point is, when a kid or a child just makes a lot of mistakes, just admit it and don't be too harsh with it and don't be too loose with it. Just admitting it and move on and, again, not pushing them so much that they're because too much pushing can also lead to brain damage, quite literally, because the mind and brain are intertwined. All the parts of the brain work together to create a healthy mind. If a certain kind of um, defect 
is occurred in the brain in a certain region of the brain that will start impacting on the person's personality, character, in the entire mental domain. So we just need to keep an eye on the personal characteristics and the person's uh, traits and mistakes and all that and recognizing and seeing them, being aware of them, the parents. But here being aware does not mean just telling them you're doing this wrong and you're doing this right. Just let them do it and let them do it. If something is extremely wrong, then intervene and then say that we can make it better next time. And also by saying not, it is better way to say them, propose an alternative, positive one. That is, instead of just saying them, this is completely wrong. So why not we just uh, say to them, so yes, this, is, this looks good, but why don't I think it will be better if we try it this way? So this is like a proposing an alternative, positive one. So this way, the brain develops in a healthy, positive manner. And what can we do to increase the empathy, sympathy, compassion of our children so that they do grow up having those positive emotions? That depends on completely investing time with the children. Specifically, we need to, we need to schedule because our time are so much busy these days and we are scheduling packed. So we need to make a specific schedule for giving time to our children. On a daily basis, often the uh, parents complain that our teenage kids, they don't listen, they don't even, uh, just whatever we say, they do the opposite, and they don't even want to spend time with us. But the problem is that if we want your, our children to spend time with us, the teenage ones, we need to start spending time with them since their very beginning of life on a daily basis. I completely agree, yes. How much time should you be spending with a child, say, a child in the school age from kindergarten to, say, fourth or fifth grade? Uh, when that, per that kid is uh, almost very much a kid, uh, then the time is longer, of course, a few hours or even two hours. That is very much long. So the earlier, the smaller the kid, the longer the time. And as the time goes, we can reduce it to one hour, half an hour as they approach to, uh, let's say, 10 years of age. And it goes on. So teenagers, so eventually we'll have some time with them instead of having no time with them. So the earlier, the longer. Okay. At least two hours, You what you're saying, of interaction a day. Interaction. But again, when we say interaction, so let's just say uh, move on from uh, five years, especially the sensitive years is from two years and it goes until about 15 years. Those are the extreme sensitive period of brain development, the development of the person's character. So that is the time when we need to interact with the kid. But by interacting, we are not saying judging the kid because the kid can, the brain is like a sponge. It's gathering information all the second. And girl child does that more than a boy child. So it is like a sponge. And when we are gathering information, attracting information, if you are very much judgmental to them, their brain is going to recognize that. And eventually they are going to st stop coming to you with their problems or if they did some, some kind of mistake. So that is kind of interaction, a kind of neutral, passive interaction that is without being judgmental, sounding judgmental. If we recognize something wrong, we need to put it in a way that it doesn't sound judgmental. Because if it is judgmental or we are concluding that it is completely wrong, why did you do it and all that? They are going to stop coming to us with their problems. Right. And when you need them to in their teenage years, they're going to stop because you created an environment that is hostile and they don't feel heard. 
Right. When they are actually, they can realize in their heart, which is in their brain, that their parents are always there as their last resort. They are, at least they have some kind of ground. They need their parents to be their parents as the last resort, that is. And when a parent is too much judgmental, they lose that ground. That is the time when they commit the greatest of uh, horrible deeds without even recognizing because they don't have that kind of brain capacity. Deal with those issues and be, but they still try to deal with those issues because they don't think that they have their parents to help them with that situation. So just being conscious enough that that kind of things do not happen just by being present there with the kid. What you're saying is the age between 2 and 15 years are the, the most crucial developmental in the brains, just like a sponge. So you definitely do need to spend more time with your kids, at least two hours of personal interaction, but on a positive interaction. No judging, no yelling, nothing that is going to make them not want to be with you. Exactly. So again, when we say no yelling, let's just put it, look at the um, practical side of it. They are going to yell. They're not going to stop. But again, we need to, even if we do yell, put the tone, just keep it a little bit down. Not too high that their brain see it as kind of hostile gesture. So they start creating yes, a kind of barrier between them and the parents. Also, it's a mirroring because you're saying the brain is just a sponge. So if you're creating hostile environment and you're judgmental, then that's what they're going to be learning. And guess what? They're going to be hostile back and judgmental back. Right. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Well, listeners, we are out of time for this episode about neglect and isolation. But tune in next week where we're going to be talking about how abuse affects the child's brain and what happens when that child is an adult and a parent. Thank you, Abi, and we will talk again. This was a pleasure, Jacqueline. And listeners, until next time, always be learning and always be growing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Go to parentpumpradio.com and click on the pink box on the top of our homepage to listen to our new and archived shows. To be instantly notified of new episodes, subscribe to our RSS feed. The RSS feed button is located at the top of the page where all our shows are featured. And after listening to the show, go to parentpumpradio.com or our Facebook page to leave your comments, questions, and topic suggestions. And while you're at our website, sign up to receive a free gift. Until next time, have a wonderful week.